You know it's a good song when you collapse in your seat. Please be seated. Just go ahead and collapse in your seat. Take a deep breath. Good to be with you this morning. Glad that you are all here. Uh, if you're joining us online, glad that you're with us as well uh, this morning. I heard a story about a guy who uh, traveled overseas and he came home feeling very sick. So he went to see his doctor, and the doctor immediately sent him to the hospital where they ran a barrage of tests on the guy. He wakes up after the tests in a hospital room, and the phone beside the hospital bed rings. He picks it up, and the voice on the phone said, this is your doctor. The guy says, what's wrong with me, doc? And he said, well, we've, we've discovered that you have somehow contracted a very dangerous, very deadly virus that's incredibly contagious. The guy says, oh, no, what are you going to do? He said, well, we're immediately putting you on a diet of quesadillas, pancakes, and pizza. The guy said, is that going to cure me? He said, no, but it's the only food we can slip under the door. <laughs> now, there are some things that we have learned in the last couple of years, right? There are some practices, there are some phrases that we have become familiar with in the last two years, one of them being social distancing. It's turned out that stay away from me is now kind of the nice thing to say to people, right? That's the respectful thing to say. You know, don't get too close because I love you so much. You know, that, that's how we tell people. That's what we say now. Being antisocial used to be a bad thing. Now it's, that's how you show respect. You know, keep your distance. I don't want to infect you, which is really saying I don't want you to infect me. Uh, these past couple of years, they have been, um, they've been frustrating. And they have been difficult. You know, we've created all these barriers. We have all these precautions, all these safeguards. And, and I get it, by the way. You know, I, don't, I don't really have a, a real problem with it. I don't think there's any undermining you know, conspiracy thing going on here. I think we're trying to do the best we can. I think we're trying to do the best we know how to do. But I've got to tell you, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we were never created to social distance from each other, I don't think we're really meant to social distance from the world for that matter. We are in this uh, short sermon series, uh, Follow Me, Follow Jesus, and talking about what that looks like as we follow Jesus. And I mentioned last week that the term Christian really kind of mean anything you want it to mean these days. Um, you can do about anything you want to do and still call yourself Christian, which means that it doesn't mean much of anything to an awful lot of people. But Jesus never asked anyone to be a Christian. What Jesus invited everyone to do was to follow him. We want to be followers of Jesus. We want to grow, we want to mature in our followership, and I don't think that's a word, but you know what I mean. We want to be disciples who make disciples who follow Jesus. We want to help other people follow Jesus as well. And this morning, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about following Jesus but I want to talk about it in the context of worship. If we are followers of Jesus, do we have to be worshipers? In our private life, in a public setting, do we have to be worshipers to follow Jesus? I want to remind you of a passage that I hope looks really familiar to you. We, uh, you know, we use the term 242. We throw that around. I heard... Uh, uh, Daryl used it a couple times in the announcements, a 242 thing. 
We draw that from Acts 2.42. That passage that we talked about so much at the end of last year and in the, in the, before that even. That we want to focus on this passage. They, those, those very first followers of Jesus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Those people who knew Jesus the best. Those people who were around Jesus the most. They didn't have a New Testament to read. The only thing they really knew about this new life that they were invited to live was what they saw and what they heard from Jesus. And as we look at they, those very first followers of Jesus, what we see is they got together a lot. And they prayed together. And they studied together. And they broke bread together. And they spent time together. And they went to the temple. And they did life together. And they worshipped together. You look at those very first followers of Jesus. Worship was really important to those people. I wonder if it's just as important to us. You know, on some level, we can all relate to that old joke about the little boy who asks his dad, what's the highest number you ever counted to? His dad said, I don't don't know. What's the highest number you've ever counted to? And the little kid said, 8,476. The dad said, why'd you stop there? No church ended. Um, we all kind of can relate to that, right? Let me tell you, you've heard that before, come on. Let me tell you why, that's, that's a great thing about telling jokes that are so old, they're kind of new again. Um, let me give you a couple reasons this morning why I think church is important, why I think worship matters. Uh, one reason, we were created to worship. We, we were created to be worshipers. Fundamentally, as human beings, we're worshipers. That term worship, it's not so much a human thing, as, not so much a religious thing as it is a human thing. I mean, we all worship someone or something. We all are looking for a God to worship, and we all have a God that we worship. Right now, you are investing in someone or something to try to give your life meaning. You're pouring your effort and your focus into something or someone. God created us to worship. That's how God made us. By the way, Satan knows that's how we're created as well. Remember when Jesus was led out into the uh, the wilderness and Satan tempted him? One of those temptations was, I will give you the kingdoms of the earth if you bow down and worship me. Satan knows You can't be like God if you're worshiping God. Satan doesn't want us worshiping God because there's a battle going on. Who are you going to pledge allegiance to? Who or or what are you worshiping? And by the way, I'll go ahead and say this. God doesn't need your worship. He doesn't need our worship. He's worthy of it. But he doesn't need it. You know who needs our worship to God? We need our worship to God. You know, it's in worship that that we we get influenced. We're influenced, we're we're changed by the things that we worship. So God leads his people out of Egypt. And on the way out of Egypt, you know, they get out and out of Egypt and God gives them the Ten Commandments. And we talk about those Ten Commandments and, and people talk about those things being so restrictive. They were anything but restrictive. They'd just been slaves. They'd been restricted. 
What God gives them and us in the Ten Commandments is, this is how you live the life I want you to live in freedom. This is where true life is found. This is where joy is going to be found. And the very first thing that you have to understand about the life that God wants us to live, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall bow down and worship no other gods but Jehovah God. The very first thing that you've got to decide when you're thinking about the life that you're going to live is, who am I going to worship? What am I going to worship? Because I'm created to worship something. And it's so easy to find ourselves worshiping the wrong something or the wrong someone. Now we all find things to worship. Sometimes we find ourselves worshiping our job, our work. That's where all our effort goes. That's where, that's where all our attention goes. Or we worship our hobbies. And we spend more time on the golf course or in the gym or, or on the internet than we do thinking about God. Or we make family the thing that we worship. My family is so important to me. You know, family time is sacred. It should be. But not more sacred than God time. By the way, you want, you want an amazing family? Worship together. Worship together as a family. During the week, on Sunday, worship together as a family. You'll be surprised at how strong your family becomes. You know, we're tempted to let things become our God. We worship things. I need more stuff. I need better stuff. I need newer stuff. My neighbor just got some cool stuff, and now I, I want that stuff. And we just focus on things. Now, every problem that we have ultimately can be traced back to who are we worshiping? What are we worshiping? You've heard sin defined as anything that takes the place of God. When we put anything or anyone in the place that only God deserves to be. Worship matters because in worship, we make sure that God is in the right place in our lives. You know, all through Scripture, Old Testament as well as New, God encourages His people. God commands His people, you worship me. You praise me. You honor me. You serve me. You love me. In Scripture, worship is a celebration of God. We get together and we celebrate when we worship. We recognize who God is, what God has done. There should be some joy in our worship. There should be some celebration in our worship. Yeah, I, I know there are times for... Lament, and there are times for meditation and, and quiet reflection, and we do that here. But I'm never going to apologize that worship is a celebration. And I want to celebrate when I worship. I appreciate the songs that we sang today and the spirit that we sang them in. I appreciate uh, Orlando with the loudest uh, uh, finger snap in the world. Have you ever noticed that? There's just a joy uh, you know, when we sing together and when we worship together. And some of you are thinking right now, that's fine, but don't go too far. I have got to the place in my life, I'm convinced you can't go too far Amen. when it comes to worshiping God. 
Read the book of Revelation if you think you can go overboard when it comes to worshiping God. You can't go too far when you're worshiping God. Truth is, say confession is good for the soul, there was a time in my life when I struggled with the other extreme. There was times in my life when I didn't really like church very much. I endured church, but I didn't like it. And I think I've always loved God with my mind. I have not always engaged Jesus with my heart. Somehow I missed Psalm 71. I will shout for joy and sing your praises for you have redeemed me. I will tell about your righteous deeds all day long. It doesn't sound like someone who endured church, does it? Endured worship. That sounds like someone who can't endure without worship. Somehow I miss passages like Hebrews 13. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His names. We have been created to worship. I'm convinced we have been created to worship joyfully. Let me give you another reason why I think worship matters as followers of Jesus and why worship is so important. Worship centers us. It centers us. Okay, what do you you mean by that, Tim? It reminds us. It reintroduces us. It it re-immerses us into the story. What story? Uh, The best story. (laughs) The best story of all. When we get together and we sing together and we pray together and we commune together and we talk about God together, I'm reminded of the story of God and my place in it. I'm reminded that I serve a God and I worship a God who created the world and everything in it, including me. And then when sin messed everything up, He didn't turn His back on me. He sent His only Son, Jesus, to come to the earth to die on a cross for my sins. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven. One day, He's coming back, and He's getting me, and He's taking me to be with Him. That's a really good story. When I worship, I'm reminded of that story. I am reminded of my place in that story. If you need more proof that worship centers us as followers of Jesus, all you got to do is look to the life of Jesus. When Jesus had a major decision to make, we find him worshiping. He prays all night the night before he chooses the, the apostles. When, um, uh, when um, where am I? What else did he do? Uh, yeah, he'd get up early in the morning and he would pray to God. Uh, we talked about where he would go, you know, to, to, to talk to people about the kingdom. When he's facing his biggest test, We see him get away and commune with the Father. Jesus knew about personal worship. And sometimes we forget Jesus knew about corporate worship as well. Luke tells us in Luke 4, Then Jesus went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath he went, as usual, to the synagogue. It was time for worship, and Jesus went, as usual... You might have a translation that says, as was his custom, to the synagogue. Guess what? 
Jesus went to church. Every week, Jesus went to church. And I don't know that I can prove this biblically, but I believe with all my heart, he didn't show up late. <laughs> I don't think anybody was running around looking for the rabbi going, have you seen Jesus? I got him for the opening prayer. <laughs> well, no, he doesn't show up to about the second or third song. No, I don't think that was the case with Jesus and his worship. Worship was a priority for Jesus. He didn't find time to worship. He made time for worship. We need to make time for worship in our lives. Because if we don't, all those things that scream to us, this is so urgent, are going to squeeze out all those things that are so important. And as if you need it, I'll give you one more reason to worship. Not only were we created to worship, not only are we centered when we worship, worship strengthens us. We are strengthened when we worship. Here's something you don't need me to tell you. Life is hard. As you get older, it doesn't seem to get much easier. But when I worship God, when I'm spending time in prayer, when I'm with my brothers and sisters, I find strength in that. I find tremendous strength in that. And through the centuries, God's people, when, when times have been hard and when options seem very limited, you see God's people turning to worship. So David is running from Saul for his life, literally for his life. And he hides in a cave. And he spends time in this cave hiding from Saul. And while he's there, he tells somebody, go get me some paper and pencil or parchment and quill or something. And he writes praise and worship songs to God. So Paul and Silas are arrested and they're beaten and they're thrown in prison. And they're put in stocks. And they pray. And they sing. They're worshiping after midnight. Worship does for that. That does that for us. It strengthens us. It reminds us. It, it assures us of the presence of God. And I know God is everywhere. But when we worship, we invite God here to be with us. And all of you out there who have been followers of Jesus for a long time, we can all remember times, you can all remember times in your life when you had a really bad week. And you didn't want to go to church. You had things go wrong at work. You had a fight with your spouse. Your kids are on your last nerve. You weren't in the mood. You didn't feel like it. You didn't want to get up and get ready. You didn't want to get up and get the kids ready. But you did it. And you came and you worshipped. And something happened. Something happened. Maybe it was something that you heard. A song that was sung. Time around the table. But God got your attention. You get a high five from Manny out here at the door. Get a, a hug from Faye in the lobby. Get a smile from BJ from across the auditorium. And you felt it. And you knew it was God. And you weren't looking for it. You weren't expecting it. You probably didn't deserve it. 
but you knew. Okay, God, you're here. I can feel your presence here. And you're strengthened by that. There's this little verse toward the end of the book of Matthew. We don't talk about it very much, mainly because we talk about all the other verses around it so much. But Jesus is about to face the greatest test of his entire life, the greatest test that any human being has ever faced. He's just left the upper room. He's with his closest followers. He's headed for the uh, Garden of Gethsemane. And Matthew tells us, when they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The last thing that Jesus did before he faced that test was to worship with his followers. He worshiped with his disciples. We are disciples. We are Jesus' followers. We're disciples who want to make disciples who follow Jesus. It won't happen without worship. Personal worship. Corporate worship. It's got to be a part of our lives. Two Sundays ago, Martha and I were able to worship with my daughter and her family. And I got to sit on the same pew with my grandchildren. What a blessing. And as we worshiped together, they sang several songs that I did not know, but my 10-year-old granddaughter did. And I watched her close her eyes, tilt her head back, lift her hands, and sing with all her heart. And I thought, that's it. That is worship. And, and I, I, I was fighting back tears as I watched that little 10-year-old girl worship with all her heart. And I thought, that's it. That's the best way to worship. You know, we all have this temptation to think that the way we like to worship is the best way to worship, right? But I sat and I, 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 I watched Grayson, and I thought, that joy, that, that celebration, that innocence, that's the best way to worship. Now, a couple months from now, I'm going to have the privilege of worshiping in this little church that I grew up in in western Pennsylvania. It's going to be a, a small group of people, mostly in their 80s. We'll hold blue books, and we'll sing songs that are 200 years old. And I'll probably fight back tears then, too. Because I'll think, and I'll know, that's the best way to worship with people who love God with all their hearts. And in truth, that's the best way. That's what followers of Jesus are called to do. That's who we're called to be. We're worshipers. Listen, worship matters. It's important. If we're followers of Jesus, we've got to be intentional about not just who we worship but when we worship and it is not confined to an hour on Sunday there is corporate worship and it's important what we do here is important and it matters but we worship God through the week as well at the end of every sermon it's our tradition uh, we offer an invitation and I'll, I'll uh, you know, offer something and, and I'll ask you to, to come share with, with anyone that, uh, anyone that has a, a prayer request or a concern or a praise report. And just about every week, someone does that. 
I'm going to offer an invitation this morning as well. And some of you might respond by coming forward and sharing some things that are on your heart, and that's great. But I'm challenging all of you to respond. I want all of you to respond to the invitation that I'm about to make. It's a pretty simple invitation. I am inviting all of us to worship together. As we sing this song that we call an invitation song, I'm just going to ask you, I'm going to invite you, I'm going to encourage you, we're going to worship together. The song that we are going to sing, I asked Dave to, to sing it. I want you to listen to the words. Everybody's different. This song takes me straight to the throne. The Spirit of God is in this place. And if you need to close your eyes when you worship, close your eyes. And if you need to bow on the floor, on your knees, get on your knees when you worship. If you need to raise your hand when you worship, you raise your hand. If you need to put your arm around the person beside you as you worship together, do that, if it's okay with them. But we want to worship together. We were made to worship. We are centered when we worship. We're strengthened when we worship. If we are going to worship God in spirit, we have got to have a spirit of worship. So together, let's stand and let's worship.